After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood from the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they both went together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there, laid the wood in order, and bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. Amen. Heavenly Father, we take up this your word. We pray you speak to our hearts. Help us to hear your word and to respond in faith. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, the Bible tells us that Adam is the father of our race, but the rest of the Bible tells us that Abraham is the father of our faith. Uh, from Abraham, the nation of Israel would rise. From Abraham, three of the most powerful world religions claim their beginning, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. But for the Christian, that is not what uh, takes center stage. Rather, it is the faith of Abraham. And we are called to imitate that faith, that faith of Abraham. Listen to the Apostle Paul in Galatians 3. He writes this, Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. The man of faith. What kind of title is that? The man of faith. And so when we look at this text, uh, that's what we see. We see the faith of Abraham in action. Um, but I chose it as my text because we see more than that. As if that wasn't enough. And so we want to look at this text today. Uh, to see Adam, uh, Abraham being tested, his faith being revealed, his faith being blessed. And then for us, and this is the Advent part, his faith being turned into our sight. We see what 
Abraham only saw by faith. Let's look at it in those four parts. And the first part is the question, how was Abraham's faith tested? And it says that God spoke to Abraham. Now, God had spoken before to Abraham. In the past, uh, when God spoke to Abraham, the dominant tone was that of blessing. The things that God says, I'm going to do things for you and for your offspring and for the nations through you. Promises of land, promises of family, promises of being a blessing to the nations. Great blessings. For the most part, Abraham's faith was tested by believing that God would give him what he had promised, which at that time seemed almost impossible. Well, not almost. It was impossible. The question for Abraham was, do you believe that God can keep his promises? Do you believe in the future blessing in spite of what you see? And Abraham did. In the shadow of God's judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham knew that God was listening. He knew that his promise was true. His faith in God was solid. But now this is a different kind of test. He asks him to make a supreme sacrifice. God asks for the most surprising and unexpected thing that he could possibly ask. Verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering. You know, we all as adults, uh, we sometimes wonder, you know, at what point would I sacrifice myself uh, for my spouse, for my children, for my country? Uh, the answer oftentimes comes back as that seems very conceivable. I, I could imagine through God's strength being able to do something right? To sacrifice myself for others. But that's not what God is saying. He says, sacrifice your son, your only son, the one you love. That's the kind of sacrifice that is being described. Now think about it a little deeper too, that God had made a promise to Abraham to make him into a great nation. And Isaac was at the center of that promise. Just in the previous chapter, we see that, that Abraham had, had different ideas of how that promise might be fulfilled through Ishmael. But God says, no, it's not going to be through Ishmael. It's going to be through Isaac. Isaac is the channel for the fulfillment of this prophecy. There is no other way, Abraham. And now God, in one chapter later, says, Sacrifice your son. Sacrifice your son. This is the son that Abraham had waited a lifetime for. In fact, again, he, he, he waited and then gave up waiting and tried his own plan. And God says that is not the way this is going to work. And so Abraham, we're told, is 100 years old when Isaac is born. Again, if God had said to Abraham, you lay down your life for your son, there would have been no question. But now God is asking something seemingly impossible. Lay down your son's life. When our minds wander into Abraham's world, we just candidly, we can't imagine a request of this magnitude. There just is, is nothing that's like this. Nothing at all. Again, many of us would sacrifice ourselves for those we love. 
But the fulfillment of all of these promises in this miracle son. How could Abraham do this? For those of you who are parents here, you know this is true. Your greatest fear is not about you. Your greatest fear is about something happening to your children. Right? And that is what God is telling Abraham to initiate. To initiate. Well, the second thing we see in today's text is how Abraham's faith is revealed. And notice it is revealed first through his actions. God gives him this command, and the first thing we're told is that early in the morning, he set out. He obeyed the Lord. He went to the place that God had called him to go. And so his actions reveal his faith. Uh, Now, the Bible is infamous for the things that it doesn't tell us. And uh, if you're like me, I wonder what must that night have been, the night before he set out early in the morning. What kind of conversations did Abraham have with God? What kind of thoughts went through his head? Uh, The Bible can be powerful in what it reveals and also what it conceals, and we don't know that. Now, that means generally that we don't need to know, either because it's not important or because we have a pretty good idea. Uh, Did he weep? Did he plead the way he pled for Sodom and Gomorrah? Did he confide in anyone? Did he speak to anyone? The Bible only tells us the one thing you need to know. He set out. He obeyed the Lord. Abraham had walked with God for a long time now. He had seen the kind of miracles that God can do, and now it was simply time for him to obey the Lord. And so those those simple words are profound. He set out. As the story progresses, they take a three-day journey. He goes to the place God instructs. He arranges the wood. He binds his son uh, as a sacrifice. And as we get into this part of the story, I want you to see that this is not merely the faith of Abraham. This is also the faith of Isaac. And we're told that uh, at a certain point in the journey, he lets the servants stay behind and just he and Isaac go along. And we're told very specifically that Isaac carries the wood and he asks about the sacrifice. And so this is not a toddler. This is not a tot. This is someone who is old enough and big enough and strong enough to carry the wood for the sacrifice. That's what he does. Think about that. If he's old enough to carry the wood, he's old enough to resist. If he's old enough to carry the wood, he's old enough to say, hey, wait a minute, Dad, what are you up to? This doesn't look right. And yet what do we see in this text? Although he could have resisted, he was certainly capable He voluntarily is bound by his father and laid on the altar. And so we see not merely the the faith of Abraham, we see the faith of Isaac. He believed that God could could do something miraculous. And so there is Abraham's faith preparing to kill his son, Isaac's faith being prepared to be the victim, knife in hand, ready to kill his son, his only son, whom he loves. He is affirming his faith fully through his actions. 
But I want you to notice something else also. He's affirming his faith in God and it's God's ability to act also through his words. On that third day, when Abraham and Isaac left the rest of the parties, he heads toward this mountain named Moriah. Listen carefully to his words. Verse 5. Then Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. He believed something would happen. He believed something miraculous would happen. He had seen God do the impossible before, and he believed that God would do the impossible again. Now, as you hear those words from Genesis 22, you might be saying, all right, pastor, aren't you reading a bit too much into those words? I mean, we're going to go, we're going to come back. Uh, How do we know that that's what he had in his mind? Well, if all we had were Genesis 22, we might not know, but we don't only have that. The book of Hebrews tells us what was happening in the heart of Abraham in Hebrews chapter 11. And what was Abraham thinking in that moment? The author of Hebrews, Paul, the author of Hebrews, whoever it is, said, uh, writes this, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. You need to realize that As Abraham bound his son, laid him on the altar, and raised the knife over him, he was ready to plunge it into him. He was going to plunge that knife into his son's flesh. He was fully prepared for that. How? In the miraculous hope of resurrection. Abraham had seen that God could raise the dead. He'd already seen God give life to a man and woman who we're told were as good as dead. That's what Paul says in Romans 4. Without wakening in his faith, Abraham faced the fact that his body was good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. That God had the power even to raise the dead in order to keep his promise. You know, the New Testament talks a lot about the faith of Abraham. That we are to imitate that faith. What is faith? A faith is a simple but powerful trust in the promise of God. That's what Abraham models for us. Saving faith, we can be more specific, is is a trust in the promise of God to save. And now, again, we see very clearly we can even be more specific. It It is simple but powerful belief in the promise of God to save us through the work of Christ. And so we don't talk about just faith. We talk about faith in Christ. He is to be the the hope and focus of our faith. And something's very important when we think about faith. Because the world has a couple of ideas about what Christian faith is that are completely, uh, completely wrong. 
We want to make sure that we understand what true biblical faith is. One of the things that people uh, talk about is, is uh, and even in some church circles, is you have to have a, a lot of faith. You have to have a big faith. And, and so what happens in your life is kind of based on the amount of your faith. And we want to reject that utterly and completely. The Bible doesn't speak that way. It's not about the amount of your faith. In fact, Jesus says if you just have like a little teeny mustard seed faith, you could move a mountain. It is not about the amount of your faith. If you ever worry about that, about do I have enough faith, that's the wrong question to ask. That's not the question the Bible asks. What the Bible talks about is not the amount of your faith, but about the object of your faith. Where have you placed your faith? What are you or who are you trusting in? And the scripture says we are to put our faith, our trust, and our hope only, only uh, in Christ. Sometimes, as the world talks about faith, uh, another problem with faith is that people think that, uh, and, and this is not common in the church but outside of the church, that faith is just believing in impossible stuff. Just have faith. Uh, the Huskers are going to go uh, 12 and 0 next year. Just have faith. All right? Just have faith. You don't have faith? Come on. There, uh, no, faith is not believing in impossible things, faith is not having a lot of faith. Faith is about the object of your faith. Who or what have you put your trust in to save you? It must be faith in Christ and Christ alone. One of the things about faith is that when we ask that question, well, who or what am I trusting in? One of the things that uh, we realize the more we think about that is that I actually have a hard time only trusting in Christ. There are a lot of other things that that kind of seek my attention, ways in which I think I can become safe, things I think I can trust in. Those are called idols. <laughs> and God strips away our idols. I don't know why God brings trouble into your life. There could be dozens of reasons, but I know one of them. <laughs> one of the reasons God brings trouble into all of our lives is to strip away whatever else we thought we needed and would keep us safe, idols, and bring us closer to Christ. There may be dozens of other reasons why God does what he does, but I know that's always one of the reasons. He is stripping away everything else that you are tempted to trust in so that Christ may be the sole object of your faith. You know, I, it's, it's hard to accept this, and I'm still working on it myself. But that means... That when God sends trouble into your life, that's his love. It's not because he's mad at you. It's not because he hates you. It's not because he, he is wagging his finger at you. It's because he loves you. And he is purging you of all the foolishness uh, that we tend to trust in until there's nothing left but Jesus. All right, third question. How was Abraham's faith blessed? And Abraham was blessed. Uh, he was willing to trust God. He was willing to slay his son, but God intervenes in that last moment. We read, Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife to slaughter his son, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. 
said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. And so he sees the ram caught in the thicket. God has provided a substitute. But listen to God's words to Abraham. He says, now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Abraham faced the ultimate test of his faith, and he has not withheld what he holds most precious. All right. Where's Jesus in all of this? Well, if we haven't seen it yet, we want to see it very clearly at the end. As we enter into Advent, we're looking for those shadows of Christ, that when Christ would appear, we would see clearly who he is. And now, fourth, uh, Abraham's faith for us has become sight. As we read the story, what story do you hear? We see a father willing to slay his son, his only son whom he loves. We see a God who intervenes and provides a substitute, saying the Lord will provide. We see a man of faith who puts all his trust in the promise of God. We see an example of faith, not perfect faith, but saving faith, an undivided faith that is willing to trust God with what he loves most dearly. But we see even more than that. The shadows of Christ in this passage go very, very deep. The mountain, we're told, is uh, called Moriah. It only appears one other place in the Bible, Second uh, Chronicles 3. And in that place, it's identified as the place uh, where God halted the plague of Jerusalem, where Solomon built the temple. In other words, it's identified with the vicinity of Jerusalem, or as one commentator said, the vicinity of Calvary. Calvary. What now happens at Calvary? The father takes his son to a mount. He carries the wood on his back. And the, the son who could resist does not resist, but trusts the father and allows himself to be a sacrifice. And the ram, well, there is no ram on that day. There will only be a sacrifice. Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. That little phrase, it shall be provided, it comes from the verb to see. And it could easily be translated. In fact, you may have a footnote in your ESV. It could be translated, in the mount of the Lord, it will come clear. It will come clear. The story of Abraham takes place over 2,000 years before the birth and sacrifice of Christ, written probably 1,400 years before the birth and sacrifice of Christ. And yet we see in the life of Abraham and Isaac the very story in the very place of your salvation. What a beautiful, beautiful shadow. A father takes his son to a mount near, if not on, the mount we would call Calvary. A father leads his son there, his only son, the one whom he loves, John's gospel tells us that Jesus was carrying the wood for the cross on his back and places himself in the loving control of his father, saying, not my will, but thine be done. And doing all of this 
in the hope, the sure and certain hope of resurrection. We've heard this story before. This is the gospel story. And just as Abraham said, we see so clearly that on that mount, it was provided. On that mount, it has come clear in Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the beautiful hope we see of resurrection life in the story of Abraham and through the reality of our risen Savior. We pray that you would write this hope and story on our hearts deeply. We would rest in this hope that we would not resist the work of your spirit to root out the idols which we have trusted in, that you would give us an undivided heart that looks to Christ and Christ alone. Father, we are so grateful that we live 2,000 years after this event rather than 2,000 years before the event. What Abraham could only see in dim shadows, now we see in living color, in full glory. Uh, help us this day uh, to look to Christ alone, uh, to his death and to the hope of resurrection through his resurrection. We pray in his name. Amen.